the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. 602-508-0960 is uh, the number if you want to um, get in on the conversation or uh, start a conversation. I was... um, I was just looking at uh, what's taking place in Los Angeles. Um, let me let me give you Jim Garrity. Here we go again. You might think that with more and more Americans getting vaccinated and the pandemic's effect on daily life shrinking by the day, the tiresome, often science-free public debate and fight about wearing masks would have been behind us, but you would have been wrong. Los Angeles... County public health authorities, according to the Washington Post, are urging unvaccinated and vaccinated people alike to wear masks again inside restaurants, stores and other indoor spaces because of the growing threat posed by the more contagious Delta variant of the novel coronavirus, quoting the Washington Post. Continuing, the high profile move by the county of 10 million marks an abrupt shift in tone after states and localities have dropped most mask mandates and social distancing requirements in recent weeks. If, God forbid, there was a new variant that our existing vaccines proved helpless against, then reinstating mask wearing for the vaccinated makes sense. But that's just not the case. So far, the vaccines are working against the Delta Variant, if I can quote from University of California Health. If you're vaccinated, you're protected. Scientists in the UK studied the relative effectiveness of two-shot vaccines, such of those as those of Pfizer and Moderna. Johnson & Johnson's one-shot vaccine, first approved in the United Kingdom, and against all the Alpha and Delta variants. They found the vaccines to be 80% effective in stopping symptomatic disease from the Delta variant. It's compared to 88% effectiveness of the vaccine against the Alpha variant. Vaccines stopped hospitalization for both Alpha and Delta variants more than 90% of the time. For what it's worth... CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said on the Today Show that the fully vaccinated do not need to wear masks and they are, quote, really quite protected from the variants that we have circulating here in the United States. Close quote. Remember, the vaccines, Jim reminds us, aren't designed to prevent any level of infection at all. They're designed to prevent an infection making you significantly sick and require hospitalization, along with preventing death. If vaccination reduces a COVID-19 infection to a routine minor respiratory infection, life can go on and there's no need to go back to all the sweeping precautions 
that were ta- that were initiated back at the beginning of 2020. But go try and tell Los Angeles County health officials that. I suppose we'll probably see that be the case as well in New York City and other cities. There were a whole series of op-eds in the Washington Post and the New York Times in December and January openly asking how can we make people more concerned about the coronavirus than they are. In other words, people were wearing thin. Their patience was wearing thin with the lockdowns and the lockdown mentality. And a lot of liberal writers were thinking, we can't let this happen. We must, we must increase the lack of um, confidence in the American people to know what to do for themselves to stay safe and do as much as we can to encourage policymakers and, uh, and uh, lawmakers to increase, once again, shutdowns and lockdowns. Uh, that attitude exists, and it didn't go away. There's nothing that erased that. There's nothing that changed that. That was well after the vaccine was announced and well after the vaccine was always, excuse me, was already proving to be more effective than even its proponents were suggesting. So that attitude, while, while it's never gone away, it's probably going to be pocketed. My guess is in the coasts and in the deepest of the deepest of the blue states. I don't understand the politics behind it, never mind having never understood the science behind it, never understood that. But I've never understood the politics behind it, for it seems to me that while there was at certain points over the course of last year um, pluralities of people who thought the shutdowns and lockdowns and isolations were important there were plura- and, uh, and beneficial and a good thing, a positive thing to do, uh, I was never in them, but they, those pluralities did exist. They started to dissipate over time as more and more things became became known, including the advent of the vaccine. But as more and more things came to be known, as we learned more and more how right we were about how the disease affects the elderly and the obese at levels well above the 70 percent mark. So that was one. And the other happened to be economic and impatience. So the political point I don't understand, if you look at the blue states economies versus the non-lockdown and red state economies, the unemployment rates are double digits in the blue states and they're single digits in the red. There's double digits in the lockdown states and there's single digits in the red states. Why, if you are a Democratic Party mayor, governor, legislator, city councilman, would you want to engage in things that would further hurt the economy and that are no longer popular with the people? And I have no good answer for that. I don't understand the politics of this either, unless there's a true fear of some kind of, um, of, some, of, some kind of exercise of freedom uh, by, 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 by the vast populace that our elected leaders can't 
fathom trusting once again them having us got to dance on their pins and by their strings so easily and readily for the past, uh, you know, over the course of the year 2020 and well into 2021. Perhaps they aren't able to give that up. Perhaps the experiment is not over. There are two versions of it, by the way. We'll call them variants, if you like. There are two variants of what we got out of COVID. One variant is what you're seeing in Los Angeles, a recommitment to relocking down and remasking. The other you are getting out of um, the, 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 other, the other you are getting out of the likes of mayors like Lori Lightfoot, who are realizing if we can do this for 15 months in the name of a national health emergency, what else can we do it for if we call it a national health emergency? And she says, oh, OK, aha, racism will be our national health emergency. Now, once you declare uh, something a national health emergency, all the more easy it becomes to start eroding that thing we refer to here as the F word, freedom. And it becomes almost as impermissible to say and exercise as the other F word is in the eyes of the Federal Communications Commission. But watch out for that. Watch out for that because Americans told their elected officials and elected leaders something very dangerous. And it reminds me of what Aristotle said when he wrote that the character of the people shapes the character of the regime. And the American people taught something very, very dangerous to their elected leaders and may have helped shaped its character in the sense of they are willing to forego not only economic freedoms, but fundamental First Amendment-type freedoms in the name of an emergency proclaimed by a novel virus, or excuse me, given to us by a novel virus, and proclaimed as lethal as anything except anything we've ever seen, except everything else we've ever seen and never did anything like this over. We Americans said to our leaders, you want to lock us up and shut us down, we'll be okay with that. And those leaders paid attention. And those leaders took note. And it was a dangerous message. And I hope Aristotle was wrong that the character of the people shapes the character of the regime, because that character will only lead to a more dangerous regime. I'm Seth, and we'll be right back. my friends because they are they do my house all my friends houses that need air conditioning help and family as well cool touch has a system the new system they're talking about that's as if you had a dimmer switch on your air conditioning unit that allows you to automatically use just the right percentage of air conditioning so that you get the most comfortable living environment and biggest savings on your utility bills without those continual power surges uh, needed to turn your air conditioning on and off. And you'll get all of that with anything you get, like with anything you get with Cool Touch, with great customer service. And right now, on top of this great new system, Cool Touch is offering a $2,000 rebate. Reach my friends at Cool Touch at 623-734-1932. That's 623-734-1932. Or visit them at CoolTouchAC. 
CoolTouchAC.com. CoolTouchAC.com. And as usual with CoolTouch, kick back and relax. They'll keep you cool. Where am I going to first? Demetrius in Phoenix. It's been a while. How are you, Demetrius? Hi, thanks. Uh, thank you for having me. Of course. I'm, I'm uh, calling because I'm worried about the control that uh, this administration is imposing on every aspect of our lives. Talk to me. We're talking about, you know, how we think, how we eat, how we how we socialize, what, who to stay home, who to go to the store, what to do, what not to do. I mean, it's it's for me, it's beyond beyond belief. I I was one of the ones that I, I took the COVID uh, vaccine because of. Uh, severe health issues sure. concerning my lungs. Yep. So I took it anyway. Mm-hmm. But I was but I was totally opposed to having forced force anyone else sure. to take it. And as I'm looking at the at the trend, all they want to do as people are getting fed up and want to live their lives, they want to reimpose those those limitations on us again. And control the population and thus possibly control what we see, what we hear, and how we not vote. Not even, I wouldn't even use the, the adverb possibly, Demetrius. We know this happened and took place. If you wanted to talk about or investigate the origins of the virus, you couldn't do it on social media up until about a month ago. That was censored. If you wanted to talk about the mental health aspects with isolate that come from isolation and uh, the closing of schools um, you couldn't have that on social media if you wanted to talk about or investigate alternative therapies like uh, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine you couldn't do that and if you supported any of the oh or if you wanted to uh, question the the efficacy of masks you couldn't do that either and and if you supported any of those things and were an academic at an institution of higher learning, you could be subject to censorship. Scott Atlas was a professor at Stanford who went to work for the Trump administration. He was an MD, a physician, and he agreed with the views that I think you probably share and that I was just espousing in my list of things. And the entire faculty stood up and voted to denounce him. Um, uh, ex-cathedra from the Senate of the Stanford University uh, campus. So, Demetrius, it already happened and and is happening. Um, it's it's uh, it's a it's a very it's a very frightening thing because it shows two things to me: not only the tyrannical and authoritarian impulse and their willing their ability to get away with it, but it shows me too that the weakness of their of the other side's position is so weak that they're afraid of any discussion of it and if they're weak if they're weak they're you know and and thus wrong they shouldn't have the levers of power that we have to operate under that's what frightens me yeah i i agree the the one thing that i also uh, that concerns me is that the way that they're they're promoting this this criteria about how how I am supposed to behave uh, based on 
the color of my skin. Of course. Of course. You know, yes. uh, I can't look. I am a Sephardic Jew. Oh, okay. okay? Yeah. My people come from, from Greece. Okay. The thing about it, if you look at me, though, I look like I'm a, I'm a Protestant from Vermont. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I, you know, I when I, when I when people look at me, you know, they think that you know, like I've had a, a silver spoon in my mouth all my life, hmm. and I come from very poor immigrant stock. We worked hard for everything that we got. My father came here with five dollars in his pocket. Well, how and, does it make, how does it how does it make you feel as a second generation American and Jewish man to hear someone like Yolan Omar tell you that your people have not been engaging in seeking justice around the world? I uh, I, I um, at times please uh, forgive me what I say. I want to vomit every time I hear her. Yeah, you know. Uh, the the hate that she you know the hate that she has for the Jewish people is beyond belief, and what bothers me most of all is my Congress, our Congress, right? Let's it happen. Yep. Yep. And they don't condemn it. Uh-huh. I was raised where you know no one was better than me, but I was no I was not better than anyone else. That's right. Or less than. Or less and, than. Uh, but, you know, it's an interesting you know, it, thing about her. And it's an interesting thing about all enemies of the left, really, almost all of them. They hate Israel as much as they hate America. I mean, let's not forget that this is a congressman who America rescued from one of the worst hell holes on earth and told us that we were racist from our founding or that some people did something on 9-11 or that the U.S. was responsible for the terrorist attack in Kenya that killed more than 70 people. And she lobbied a Minnesota judge to give leniency to a man who tried to join ISIS. She blamed the U.S. for the Venezuela coup. She supported Hamas. She's complained about the way Americans pronounce al-Qaeda. She has wrongly spoken and falsely claimed that U.S. forces killed thousands of Somalis during Black Hawk Down, she in, said when she came to I America, she found it. streets filled with trash and garbage. I, she hates America as much as she hates Israel, and and and, I, uh, and it worries I, I me that the Democratic Party doesn't know what to do with her. I'd know what to do with her. Throw her out. I I served in Somalia. Yes. I was sent to Somalia. There you go. I served there. There you go. And I go like this. And what we were trying to do is do the best thing we could to help those people of course. that were rampant with disease yep. and yet rampant with disease and poverty, and yet that tribal hatred of us promoted by... Dem- Demetrius, i got to hit the break, but can you hold? This is so important, and thank you sure. for your service. I didn't know about that. Please hold. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, and it's time Wednesday, as it always is in our second hour, to hear from a great congressman representing the 6th District of Arizona, David Schweikert. David, happy Wednesday. How are you? I'm fine, and I'm sorry for my tardiness. We have a floor debate going on, and I have a compulsive problem of when I hear something that drives me insane, I write some notes and run it down to the speaker or, you know, the, not the speaker in the chair, but who's um, de- debating on our side. And it's just an annoying habit I have. Don't, don't so worry how, about how it. How is Phoenix? No, is, no, my the rule. Most important question, are we getting any rain yet? Well, we had some, but my rule is we want you busy. So that's fine, David. You can always be late for me if you're, if you're, if, <laughs> if you're telling Nancy to, to, uh, to, uh, quiet down. <laughs> uh, no, uh, we're, we're pretty hot here. We had some, when did we have rain? last week. But David, you and I aren't going to let our friendship or down to talking about the weather, are we? Um, trust me, it's rain in Phoenix in the summer. That's a big deal. Okay, brother. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a big deal, and I just kind of started getting hip to it recently. And it's this uh, p- package of uh, legislation you were introducing uh, to protect America's data and privacy. I've just yeah. begun to understand how easy and how much uh, data on us uh, private organizations have, never mind public. But talk to me about uh, this new effort of yours. Okay. And first off, for, for some of my our brothers and sisters out there who sort of want the 230 exemption you know, protection. That's gone, a different thing, I think, right? Well, that's a very right. different yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Because, it, and understand, that unleashes also the law, lawyers to attack parlor and rumble the things that are conservative but very small and that put them out of business. Sure. So sure. come up with a creative way that also fits the Constitution. And I'm a believer that my data, your data, is a private property right. Mm-hmm. You own the information about you, and you need to be told what its economic value is and make a decision whether you want someone to be able to use it, sell it, exchange it, make profit off of it, because it's a property right. You can sell it, you can keep it, you can split it. Um, But by doing that, you change the paradigm. Because the reality, how does Facebook make money off of it? Right. It's your information. And there's some of these websites, whether you know it or not, are sometimes making, you know, shocking amounts of money gathering up the information that you signed up for. Mm-hmm. You hit that little button at mm-hmm. the end so you can get this little free app. Right. And then they're tracking you. They're selling it. They're oh, yeah. moving it. Oh, yeah. And then we also have to make sure that other types of really sneaky, sneaky tracking. There's something called a tracking pixel uh-huh. that's in some emails where you have no idea it's there, and they're giving away your geotag of where you're at. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, and so we're trying to make also those sorts of things illegal. Um, I was listening. I, I, I was just. It's so odd that you're odd or good. I suppose is the better word that you're on this because I myself have just been waking up. I have for years known we're giving away probably way too much voluntarily when we apply. You know, uh, for a, a credit card at a department store or anything like that. I've I've long been that, aware of that problem. I just didn't realize yeah. how how much it has expanded beyond that over the last twenty or so years. But there's but you got to be careful. There's different sets of rules. So when you apply for credit. They're under fair report. That's right. Reporting That's rules. Right. They they have security. When there was the Equifax breach, they had to pay all sorts of fines That's and right. penalties and try to make people whole. That's um, right. Which actually, believe it or not, that Equifax breach 
is part one of the reasons we have huge unemployment fraud right now because people are using that information uh, to uh. make fraudulent claims. But um, or your student information as as when you're in education or your health records have HIPAA. But you have functionally almost no protection at all when you grab that app and fill out your information or you go on a website or you set up your Facebook account or those things. And then the ability to tag on so much more information from your geotags of when they know where you've been, we know when you've gone online, they know your IS, uh, you know, um, yeah, your ISDN, your you IP number, yeah, uh, or IP address, rather. Okay. And you start to stack that type of things. Then, when I start to tack um, the types of websites, um, any ads you've clicked on, you need to know what that is, and you also need to be told that you actually are the owner of mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And here's its economic value. Do you want to trade it, sell it, or give it away? That's fantastic. That's fantastic, David. What an empowering idea. I love it. One more thing you uh, but we're involved in, because you're, you're, the theme here of this week is looking at uh, big problems with, uh, with uh, empowering solutions, or, or at least innovative ones, David. Talk to me about uh, this proposal you have that looks really intriguing on reducing student loan debt, too. Um, we actually, there's a cluster of those, so okay. be careful. Okay. We're trying to find a way to put together a Republican package and see if we can get some Democrats to play. And it's everything from providing um, some uh, tax benefit to both the borrower and maybe your now your employer to allow that um, if you're not going to take maybe your match on your 401k, they, you could actually say, I want that to go pay down my student debt. So there's a number of, we're trying to be very creative without creating the chaos that the Biden administration's talked about of just saying, we're just going to give away money. Yeah. yeah. Um, because there's this intense fear for those on the conservative side. You, you have two sides of a coin. One side is what the left is doing right now, which is going to be, basically make us all serfs. We will basically exist on the government money. You know, um, the way I pay for my child care will be I need government money. The way I'll pay for this will be government money. Our side of the coin is to create so much prosperity that you'll have that money, and you will choose where it goes. David, I think it's fantastic. I, I mean, great. I, I just I, I love that you're doing innovative and empowering things. There's there, there's 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 just not a lot of you who 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 view the entrepreneur who view the entrepreneurial as a solution for the stagnant right now, and that's but one of the reasons I've ways, always liked you. It's, a, it's our only choice I um, because so. one is almost a type of totalitarianism. Yep. You know, we are going to run your life. Yep. Um, you know, why does government, why do so many political people love Medicaid for all? Why do they love the concept of free education? It's because Congress, the bureaucrats, will get to run it. We'll yep. decide what you teach. Yep. We'll decide what health care you get. Mm-hmm. We'll decide what we can ration. And it makes functionally elected folks just stunningly powerful oh yeah look at how, oh yeah look how they fight powerful. hammer and tong against school choice there's a reason they're doing that right there's a reason. well uh, that, that's also the union's collective yeah. power yeah. of not wanting to be exposed that they are the defenders of mediocrity yes i'm yeah, long aware of that as well yeah david bless you sir thank you we'll take you late we'll take you early we'll take you on time we'll take you any way you'll let us have you we appreciate right, it just don't wonderful. leave us Goodbye now. All right. 
602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. There's a uh, there's a little uh, Ronnie Millsap. I had the pleasure of interviewing him once some years ago. Rob, hi, Rob. Well, hi, Seth. Didn't you have another caller, Demetrius, that you wanted to get back on? I did. Oh, okay. So you got to put up with me now. <laughs> I don't know. He no, he had to run. He'll call back probably. That's okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that's good. I um um I actually read. How to be an anti-racist over the past week, and the reason I did was my daughter on her 33rd birthday in April wanted for her birthday present to get a copy of that book, and so she came over on Father's Day and uh, hadn't read it yet. So I thought, okay, just leave it here, and um, I'll go ahead and get to it. And I thought, well, I'd better start understanding. Like you always read a book where you try to understand what an author is trying to convey in his book, and this one is really no exception. But I, I have a caveat that um, I need to mention, that uh, you know how Antifa is the very thing that they are allegedly fighting against? Yes. Fascism? Yes. Okay, well, Ibram Kendi, I think, is also the same thing he claims to be against, which is a racist. Yeah. Now... You have to understand a couple of things. One is he has an agenda. Number two, as a best-selling author uh, and a college professor who he actually said in high school he wasn't a very, well, he was a bad student, um, all of a sudden, you know, you start putting things together as you read the book, and you find uh, that it's really, and, and again, this is all based on, you know, the last discussions about, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Chief Naval Operations making this recommended reading. And I have to uh, admit, it falls far short of being useful as anyone's recommended reading, um, other than for either amusement or to validate, which you probably already know. Um, it's basically... If I wrote it, it would never get published. It's so bad. Well, well yeah. I mean, I, I don't see where this became such a popular bestseller. Because it's really very disjointed. It's sort of a semi-autobiographical stream of, you know, biased, anti-white, anti-Republican gobbledygook. Mm -hmm. that, uh, yeah, this is part of the, the nexus whole... the left has been clever uh, in creating, oh, yeah. uh, which is to tie, yeah. to colligate Republican to racist. This has been mm -hmm. that effort, and they have succeeded. Well, yeah, and, and he ends up overplaying the whole, you know, blacks as victims and tries to base literally everything on white power over blacks, white policies that are designed to keep them down. And then he tries to tie in a whole bunch of different things from biology to ethnicity to color, mm -hmm. uh, culture, color, behavior, class and sexuality and all this. And then he goes into a lot of pick and choose history and statistics where as an example, you know, he'll cite uh, Portugal, Prince Henry the Navigator, uh, who, of course, was an evil white man, as starting the African slave trade. But he, uh, a few sentences later, goes into mentioning Muslims who obviously uh, started earlier 
than uh, Prince Henry. And also, he ignored all the tribal chiefs in Africa who sold their own in slavery. And he didn't even mention how slavery had been with humanity for thousands of years. No, you can read the book, in other words. You will read the book. If you read the book, you'll be dumber. Um, Well, or you'll be smarter about what the agenda is. Um, Because his whole theme is really that it's, it's racist power that creates the policies that cause racial inequity. Correct. Now, it's interesting how he doesn't mention, uh, you know, the LBJ Great Society and right. affirmative action right. and all the things that made things apparently better. Um, also very amusing, he came up with a term called post-traumatic slave syndrome, mm-hmm. PTSS. I've and seen I'm that. Was, they, well, <laughs> was that the, an invention of his? Uh, it might have been. I didn't realize I he know. invented it, but I've seen it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, he gets into the whole standardized test thing to measure aptitude and intelligence. Uh, is one of the most racist policies ever devised to degrade black minds and legally exclude black bodies. And it's just black. That's yeah. not any other race or anything like that. Um, he, also, he also mentioned that he started hating white people after Gore conceded the Bush on the 2000 election. So but it's all political. Also, it's all about He's always politics. been a Democrat. Yeah. Yeah. You know? it's, all, it's, all the poli- and, it's just about politics. Oh, yeah. Hold, hold so the thought a sec. Just, hold the thought, Rob. Hold the thought. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rob uh, has done uh, the work that you don't have to by reading Ibram X. <laughs> Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Uh, Rob, so it turns out this was always about politics. It was never about anti-racism. Well, and it's all about skin color. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, too, where he talks about the standardized tests uh, were derived to degrade black minds and legally evolve black bodies. Um, it, he doesn't even mention possibility that there could be oh i don't know academic achievement that these tests are supposed to you know measure and that he actually admitted that he was a bad student but that he shouldn't be criticized as a bad black student well that's fine but you know then he goes and says oh it's racist power that creates the policies that cause racial inequity well he has that he has that very cute construction that allows him to do this with anything including standardized tests it's that construction that any yeah. policy that leads to inequity is racist any policy that solves inequity is anti-racist and that's exactly. why he can say the standardized tests irrespective of fact and history are racist well yeah exactly and of course you know the entire book just sort of oozes this whole racism thing which goes back to the you know antifa is the very thing that they claim to be against and the things that are interesting, too, are the omissions he put in. You know, he he doesn't mention a thing about blacks who fought in the Civil War or World War One or Two or Vietnam. He doesn't mention Tuskegee Airmen. He doesn't mention all the black success stories, you know, in business, entertainment, or sports. You know, people like Ben Carson. Oh, and he has some bad things to say about Clarence Thomas, uh, which was kind of interesting. Um, and also... Uh, he mentioned some comment about Donald Trump. Oh, yeah, the eventual racist ascendancy of Donald Trump in 2016. Well, forgive me if I don't believe that, because Donald Trump did more for minorities in four years than anybody else ever did in the history of the presidency. So, again, the guy's got a bias. He's anti-white. He's anti 
anti-Republican. He's anti-establishment uh, system that we have, Western civilization, I guess. And it's really not worthy of being recommended. Let, let me let me uh, let me let me let me put a bow on it and make it easy for folks too. He opens his book as memory serves, talking a great deal about a black liberation theologist named named James Cones, and how James Cones was his dad's teacher and who taught him every uh, his, you know the basics and fundamentals. Of, is, of of the issues having to do with the African American community, do you know who else James Cones' teacher is? It's the only reason I knew his name. I haven't read his works. I just knew his. I read a little bit of them <clears throat> back in two thousand seven. Do you want to know why I know who he is? Jeremiah Wright said he was his teacher too. That's what you're getting here, Jeremiah Wright, GD America. That's that's what we're that's what we're dealing here with. Blame America first was the 80s. We're a different country now. It's hate America first now.